It's Willard and Dems. We get back to your phone calls in just a few. But I'm excited to welcome in Jesse Rogers, MLB insider, ESPN here to the show. Rules changes, Shohei and more. Jesse, what's going on? Not much, guys. I'm watching batting practice for the first day here. I'm at Cubs Park today, and uh, they've got a pitch clock going for batting practice. So these pitchers got to release the ball in 15 seconds, or they you know, will stop the play and reset it and everything. So they're trying to get used to it from day one here. It's kind of interesting what, to see batting practice with a pitch clock. Yeah, what do you think this is going to look like? And I, and I mean that specifically for fans. What, what do you think this experience will look like? I think, you know, look, I, some people are making too big of a deal out of it. Um, I think the the major part that you'll see quicken up is just the regular all one pitch, ball back to the catcher. I'm, I'm sorry, ball back to the pitcher. Uh, strike one, one and one, bat ball back. And the, when there's a foul ball, things are going to slow down. When there's an injury, things are going to slow down. When a, a pitcher needs a new ball, they're going to reset. But just the normal course of pitch one, pitch two, pitch three, things are going to move a little bit quicker. And now, the ancillary effect could be pitchers are not as effective, right? The guys that have to speed things up. Well, there's a reason they were probably slow before. They, the U Darvish comes to mind. He likes to work slow. He's more effective slow. So that's the un, uncharted territory for a lot of guys at the major league level, even though they've done it at the minors. You never know what it looks like in the majors. The game's going to speed up, and there probably will lead to a little bit more contact. Um, in the minors, the numbers did stay the same without a pitch clock than with a pitch clock. I think that's going to change. I actually think we're going to see a few less strikeouts, a little bit more contact, and just a quicker pace. But don't worry. If there's a foul ball, they're not going to rush everybody back. It's just in the normal course of, of, of pitching and catching and back and forth that things are going to speed up. And I know the big buzzword now is disengagements in terms of the pitcher, but also the hitter has certain rules about staying in the batter's box. Are we going to see a new level of gamesmanship in terms of a pitcher with, oh, my shoelace came untied, I'm going to have to take a little bit more time, or the pitch calm doesn't work, or maybe the batter gets a cramp? Have we seen any of those things in the minor leagues? Yeah, it remains to be seen what we're going to see in the majors in terms of that sort of stuff. They, the league has really stressed to teams, hey, we're all in this together. Try not to purposely violate the spirit of the rule. You know, pitcher continuously asking for a new ball, right? Okay, look, and there's going to be warnings for stuff like that. Uh, and, and, uh, and actually, there's some guidelines there. A pitcher has to ask for a new ball with like eight or nine seconds left in the clock. He can't get down to one and call time and ask for a new ball. Like, there, there are some guardrails in place for some of this stuff, but as the seasons go on, as these rules take, take hold, I agree with you. The guys are going to try to circumvent it. That's just how it is. And, yes, maybe somebody does tie their shoe once, one, one more time than normal or whatever um, or ask for that new ball when they don't really need one. They just hope it's not out of control. And the, the umpires have a lot of discretion. They can warn players. They can warn teams. Um, but they really are stressing to the to the teams, hey, this is this is for us. This is for you. This is for the betterment of the game. Try to play along with us. But you know teams and players are going to try to get around it as well. Jesse Rogers, MLB Insider, ESPN with us, Willard and Dibs. So, Jesse, uh, the old ground ball up the middle might be back, right? Or is it? Like, are, are we going back to something that will look like pre-shift or teams just going to start, like, shifting differently within the rules? No, I think the second the second point is the, is the right answer. I think they're going to just start shifting differently within the rules. In fact, I was talking to a, a bench coach today, um, 
And, and the positioning is going to be, in some ways, positioning on the infield that some of them have never had. I'm, I'm talking specific positioning. For example, a left-hander now, you instead of the shortstop moving all the way over, he's going to be right next to second base, right, a lot of times. And the third base, he's still going to move over to a spot that maybe he wasn't used to, or maybe in the past that third baseman was the guy that was in short right field. So they're actually going to be brand new specific spots for guys based on where you can shift within the rules. I, I don't think we're, the, the ground ball up the middle is necessarily a hit because you can still stick a guy you know two feet to the left or right of second base and cover that area. But I do think you're still going to see third base for left-handers kind of wide open. And that third baseman is going to be in a shortstop type of type of position. Now we've seen some of that before, but I think they're going to I think they're going to punch guys for lefties close to second, and obviously you know shift shift them around on the right side as well. So yeah, long story short, I do think there's going to be some interesting positioning within the rules that will still kind of look like a shift. Have you heard anything about teams looking to employ the seldom seen two man? Outfield, where you bring one of the additional outfielders against the lefty and put him behind where the second baseman would play defensively. There's chatter about it. Haven't seen or heard someone definitively doing it, but I bet it happens. Um, the, the answer I always get back is it better be the right kind of outfielder because in the past, obviously, they put an infielder there, a guy that can scoop up a two-hop, you know, 98-mile-an-hour hit, right, exit velocity. A left fielder isn't necessarily the best fielder on your team. In fact, he might be your worst. And then you're putting him in sort of an infield-related spot, right? Now, maybe he'll catch the line drive, but he may not catch the two-hopper. And if it's going to turn into a hit anyway, you've all of a sudden left open the whole left side of the outfield, right, in a, in a, in a sense. And instead of a single you know, through the left side, uh, a line drive that way is going to be a double or triple or inside the park if it bounces around. So there's a risk-reward at, at sticking a left fielder over there or the center fielder over there that you didn't have because you're, you're giving up at least a double, if not a triple, if the ball goes that way. And if it's the wrong outfielder sitting there, you may not even get the out because he's not a guy that is used to scooping up hard-hit ground balls. Um, hey, Jesse, you know, uh, you know this. From arson judge to failed physicals, the <laughs> fan base out here is, is really mad. Um, where does this leave the Giants' current regime, and, and how can they fix it? It's tough. Um, I've been asked this question by a few teams. Uh, the, the camp I'm at today, the Cubs kind of qualify, although I think the Giants are probably a little bit better on paper, and you look at the record last year. Um, Cubs, Giants, Diamondbacks come to mind in the National League, and what I'm getting at is we are in an era of haves and have-nots. Payroll disparity has contributed to that. Aggressive owners have contributed to that just randomness of teams coming out of rebuilds. And so what I'm getting at is think of the 12 playoff teams last year. There were no, even with the extra wild card, there were no shoddy, crappy teams that snuck in. These were 12 good teams, in my opinion. Now, among those 12, you can count up to seven of the elite, um, you know, elite of the elite, the three NL East teams, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Astros, um, uh, Padres now I put in that category. So there's two levels there. How do you, if you're a have-not, so to speak, how do you how do you leap into those 12 teams? And, and from there, how do you leap into the elite of the elite? It's not easy. And the Giants are right there in the middle of it, just like kind of the Cubs, just like the Diamondbacks. Um, I think the American League has more disparity. Like the, there's the best, there's the really good, and then there's the really bad. National League has a few in between, but I don't know 
how the Giants jump past the Dodgers or Padres currently. I don't know how the Cubs get past uh, the Cardinals right now or the Diamondbacks, same thing with in the NOS. So I don't have a great answer for you. Having Carlos Correa, having a couple stars helps. We're seeing the congregation of stars a little bit more and more in, the, in Major League Baseball, like we saw in the NBA, in part because um, the, the CBT has gone up, that teams can afford them, and teams are willing to pay the tax. So you think about the Phillies and the Mets, they're, they're sort of hoarding stars, and the Dodgers always do, and, and now the Astros. How do the uh, Giants get there? I don't have a great answer for you. It, it's, it, it has to do with developing a star, and then convincing one to come here, and that doesn't fail physical. And Shoei Otani is the one that uh, those of us here in the Bay Area are hoping they can convince to come here. What do you think, and what are you hearing in terms of his next destination once this little cute little Angels experiment ends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're in the right. Um, you're in the right co- uh, on the right coast. Let's start with that. It certainly does seem like he's going to stay out there. I, I mean, everyone is putting the Dodgers at, at the front of the line for good reason. But I don't know this guy that well personally. I don't know if anybody does. Um, let's say he does prioritize winning. Then certainly the Dodgers are ahead of the Angels. The Giants are probably ahead of the Angels. The Mariners could be in the mix, though, because they're good. I just can't know. Maybe he loves the Bay Area, wants to stay uh, you know, by you guys. You know, I don't, I don't know. I can't handicap it. He's going to get paid a... Uh, you know, they're going to back up the Brinks truck for him. Um, it just depends on the city he wants to live in and how probably how close that team is to winning if, if they're not winning already. Um, I certainly would put the Giants in the mix. Maybe he wants to be the, the face of a franchise, and he certainly would be there. I mean, I think he would be on any team, I guess. But, you know, I can't handicap it any better than anyone else except to say that in the industry, the Dodgers feel like the, the front runner. Uh, Jesse, great stuff, man. Really interesting to have you. Thanks so much. You got it. Anytime, guys. Okay, there goes Jesse Rogers, MLB Insider, ESPN. How can we even project? I mean, just for fun, what's what's the money for for Shohei? What does what, what does that offer look like? Well, I I like what uh, some have said in terms of him being two players, and if he totally. is, if he's one of the best five hitters in baseball, which he probably he might be higher on the list than that, but let's say he's a top five hitter and he's a top ten pitcher, he might be a top five pitcher. What does a top five hitter get? What does a top five pitcher get? Take those two deals, combine them together. He gets 12 years and $700 million. <laughs> I mean, is that... No, I know it sounds I mean, ridiculous, but Mark, if the guy... If he's going to go 15 and 5, he's going to pitch 25 games with a 2.7 ERA, and he's going to hit 37 home runs and drive in 105... He's worth two players. Well, I, it, yeah, it's not seven hundred. I know you're you're partially joking, but I I, I am. But it's north of five hundred. Well, so the top guys now are getting in that. You know what were all the contracts? Three three fifty. Right. Is essentially, what they were getting for one player. For one player. Okay. And yes, if I'm Shohei's agent, it's the first thing I'm saying when I'm sitting down. He's not two yeah, players, but he's probably one point eight players. Yeah, like when you give me your offer, you're like, that's great. Now, what are you offering the other guy? <laughs> exactly. Right. Like that's Shohei, but then you got to offer Otani a deal also so i i i don't know but it, it, and by the way he turns 29 in july okay so when this conversation is happening he will be 29 and a half years old so you're looking at minimum a 10 a 10 year deal maybe 11 something like that and and if the top players in the game right now are, are cooking at somewhere around 35 to 40 million dollars yeah how do you not get 50 a year and so 
Yeah. 700 million ten, mark. 10 years, 500 million? Start there. Exactly. And someone will do that. That, I think, is the someone starting point. And, you know, all the criticism of the Giants was, why didn't you just come in at 400 million? For arson judge, right. or for Aaron Judge, yeah. even either one of them, I'd have taken arson. Right oh, yeah, at point. this point, <laughs> but you know, if that was even a thought for Aaron Judge, four hundred million dollars. Well, Otani isn't the slugger that Judge is, but he's probably nine tenths the slugger that Aaron Judge is, and he's a much better pitcher. I, I mean, yeah, you could make the case. I mean, gosh, you're looking at, you know, Shohei Otani is not the, as you put it, slugger. That uh, that Aaron Judge is terms of uh, in terms of home runs and whatnot, um, it probably hit. I don't even know what did Aaron Judge hit in terms of average, like three hundred. Okay, Shohei, he almost hit the triple crown. Remember? Yeah, Shohei was a two seventy three hitter. Well, I also don't think Aaron Aaron's not going to play every year like he did this last year. He, he's not. I don't think so. <laughs> he like, better you not. don't do that every year, do you? That was a generational year. You know, Otani was an eight seven five OPS. That's very very good. It's not generational. Right. It's not what Aaron Judge did. But, you know, you love it. 273, 34 home runs. Uh, OPS 875, that's a middle-of-the-order star. And then you add in... <laughs> also takes the ball every five days. What was he, like 15-5 and five or something? Uh, I his, think he pitched 28 times, is that right? His pitching uh, last year, he did. He started 28 times. He was 15 and 9 with a 2.33 ERA. 2.33. Uh-huh. Wow. He was elite on both ends. I mean, seriously. Elite. Two players inside, inside one, one body. body. Right. It's ridiculous. There it is. All right. Um, thanks for your patience. $700 million is what I'm standing by. Didn't I get it? Didn't I get it? 12 and 700? If I'm the agent, I walk in and say that, but... but how do you say it without laughing? Yeah, exactly. Like, all right, Bob. Uh, okay, or, Bob. Or, yeah, who's his agent? Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we were talking about Kevin Love and uh, the Warriors, and Dibs has, uh, you know, ridiculous Lakers takes and where the playoffs are going and uh, all of these things. Uh, let's get back to you. Tony in San Jose on Willard and Dibs. Hey, Tony, what are you doing? Hey, hey, just at work, freaking Union Glazer, shout out DC1621. How you guys doing today? Uh, good, Tony. Good, Tony. Appreciate you calling. So, um, anyway, Kevin Love is a non starter for me. I don't think he does it. They need defensive help. And, um,. Anyway, something happened. I want to get back to it, but I appreciate you guys. You guys All right, Tony. There you appreciate go. It. All right, that was good. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, Kevin loves an non-starter. Yeah, it's a non-starter. Uh, yeah, I gotta go. I'm in the closet I right now. Go. I'm hiding from my boss, and I think he's on his way. Your call ended up being a non-starter, also, but uh, but that's okay. It was a good take. Yeah, huh? no, look, look. It was when, a good tidy when life take. Calls. I did this last week to my class at uh, at Cal Poly. Like you know what 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 ended up happening with uh, uh, Penny the dog is she's fine. But there was an emergency phone call from the vet, and like I like I had just I'd literally the class was ten minutes in. It's supposed to be a three hour class. Still so taking a roll. I mean, yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> Bueller, let's see, uh, Kayla. <laughs> let's see, uh, Tracy. Anyway, <laughs> so we're all there, and uh, I start the class, and then oh, you take the phone call. And, I mean, dude, I'm literally, like, fighting off tears. And so I just turned the video off on the Zoom, and I just put it on the chat board. I, guys, I got to go. Class class dismissed. That's and there it. was much rejoicing. 
Oh, I'm sure. As much they were, as I, I'm sure they love your class. You remember being in college? Oh God! When the professor lets you go early? Are you kidding? And you let him go ten minutes in to a three-hour class? Ten minutes into a three-hour class? Yeah, yeah. a three-hour class. Totally. Anyway, by the way, I, al- <laughs> I always do that. I don't like in the age of Zoom. I'm not. Let, I'm not making you sit here for three hours. What are we getting out of that? Three hours on a Zoom. How long is your break in the middle? You give them ten. I give them multiple breaks. I try to break every hour. Uh, pretty much, if we're doing Zoom, because that's just—it doesn't matter how entertaining you are or how good your content. What? Right. That's awful. Nobody wants to sit in a chair on a Zoom for three hours and listen Chin in the hand. Right. Do you demand a certain body language from your students? Oh, I, I, I demand upright. I demand cameras on, smiles. And balloons behind their head. Smiles, huh? Yeah, like Fantasy yeah. Island? No, smiles, everyone smiles. I don't demand anything. Cameras on, though, right? Yeah, right, right. And then there's the, the the other class where you could be in person or on Zoom. We do both at the same time. That's where I'm like, this actually happened yesterday. One of the students just like, uh, no camera the whole time, but his name was there. And so I sent him a chat. I go, dude, you need to turn your camera on. And nothing ever happened. And I'm like, you weren't there. Right. I emailed him after. I'm like, you could put a box on a screen with your name on it. <laughs> that does not count as attendance. So what, uh, did, anyway. did he respond to you? Nope. Not why I haven't checked. I, that was an email after gotcha. class. Because so. his email <laughs> wasn't there either. It was a fake email. <laughs> look, look, I get what you're saying, Warriors fans. We need defense. And Kevin Love isn't defense. I'm not presenting Kevin Love as the fix. He's not the fix. He's not the fixer. Kevin Love is someone who I think could help in spots. And and so are you better with him than without him? This is if he wants to come and if the buyout gets finalized. And there's a lot of ifs. But I think the Warriors need big bodies. I think that they will need and want experienced adults in the room in the playoffs. And so Kevin Love might provide some things that could help. And in a buyout market, that's really all you can hope for is someone who might be able to help you. Right. Not come in and fix everything. Yeah, and I don't think that he can come in and help what you need help with. This is like you have a situation with your family where the roof is leaking and the car is broken down in the driveway. And so you go out and you you get a pet Dalmatian. It's like, okay, great. It's a dog. We love this dog. And... Everybody likes to have it, but... Be a dog. We got big issues, and your issues aren't being fixed by coming home with a Dalmatian from the pound. Kevin Love is, I guess he's a big body, but he's not the kind of big body you need. He can't defend other big bodies. So you you go up and face Nikola Jokic in the playoffs... You're not putting Kevin Love on him. Well, so, Dray- Draymond, Jokic no, has already said but, that no one's harder to, as far as the defender against right. him than Draymond. You so already got that. You go up against anybody, and who's Kevin Love going to guard? The, the answer is bigs. nobody. The other big. Right. Draymond's got the big. You get the other big. So you're going to put him up against uh, whatever stiff another team has? He can't guard Zubats. Listen, you again. you got no answer for Zubats. <laughs> Kevin Love provides nothing of the things that you need. Yes, he's a familiar face. He grew up with Clay. He's a winning player. He's a nice, fine fellow, and he would fit darn good in the locker room. When you, when you, he doesn't help you one iota when you to be say, better. When you say, like, he can't defend, it's like, I mean, you're talking in a large sample. 
Um, he can defend. He's a big body. He's not the worst defender we've ever seen. You would only be asking Kevin to come in and do very limited minutes in limited situations. And yes, there's an aspect of this that is insurance. It's just like, can we have somebody who can have some success if a Looney, if a Jermichael Green goes down? Uh, because you're so thin there now. You're so thin there that if there's a problem there, I mean, you're dust. You're playing all guards all of a sudden. Right, but Kevin Love is not Kevon Looney insurance. Of course, well, I mean, he's six he's eight, but Green. he plays like a small forward. Uh, he's not. He doesn't play the way Kevon plays. He's a great passer and he can shoot the three. He does. He's not a guy who's going to get in there and get dirty. No, he's and play not Kevon. Thirty minutes. He's not Kevon, but he he's you know he can he can be on the interior. He can be right. on the interior. James Wiseman could be on the interior. No. No, he could. No. He could. And he I mean, could, he's he allowed could... to stand exactly. there. Exactly, and I he mean, would stand there. So Kevin Love is way better than James Wiseman defensively. But you're talking about big bodies. James Wiseman was a big body who got punished defensively. We saw it again last night in Detroit. Kevin Love is a big body who does not guard. All right, it's uh, it's all brought to you by Fremont Bank, full service banking, no compromises. Plenty more of you want to weigh in on this, and that's exactly where we're going next. 888-957-9570. More of your calls. Uh, Steiny and Goo, only a half hour away as well. This is Willard and Dibs. Warriors. Now back to Willard and Dibs. You must try to ignore Probably nothing. What's love got to do with the rest of the Warriors season? I'm thinking nothing. You know, like, I don't think this is likely. He hasn't even finalized a buyout with Cleveland. And if he does, Miami is supposed to be the front runner. Yeah. I don't even know if the Warriors are interested in this. I just feel... Well, they know, tried to trade Clay Thompson for him, so... <laughs> of course they they're interested. They did. 114 years ago. But, yeah, I just... To me, this is even... Maybe we're talking about all the X's and O's of Kevin Love. I, what about the not X's and O's? That actually seems to be where you and I kind of agree a little bit, which is that I think the Warriors, to a degree, when everybody around you is acquiring talent and getting better, and then your team makes an acquisition that already on the surface is a lesser acquisition than what your counterparts made, and then that player can't even play, like it feels like they just missed out on the party. And so an acquisition for the Warriors might give them... An emotional boost in addition to a basketball boost. I would say emotional boost and then full stop. I don't think you're getting a basketball boost. You're getting a guy whose three-point shot, his percentage has gone way down. And quite frankly, on this team, you don't want him shooting the three anyway. You've got four or five guys who are better three-point shooters than he is. You need someone to come in and play defense. And he's not a good defensive player. He's never been a good defensive player. And you look at what he is leaving. He's leaving a team that is good. They're competitive, and they're pushing for a title, and yet they don't feel like that he can help you at all. So, yeah, it would be nice. Kevin Love, you're a veteran. We all know you. Let's tell some old stories around the campfire. And kumbaya, 
But he's not helping you at all on the court. Yeah, but, you know, look, different teams have different needs, and, and Kevin is not a perfect fit for the, what the Warriors need. But, you know, let's not act like just because one team that's going for a title gives up on you that you don't fit on another team. And I know this is baseball, not a perfect comp, but as you were saying that, like Joey Gallo popped to mind. The Yankees were like, get the hell out of here, dude. We're going for a title. And the Dodgers were like, we'll take him. We're going for a title. You know what I mean? And, and I think the Dodgers felt decent about what they got out of Joey Gallo. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't great. He still strikes out, like, most of the time. <laughs> but, do you, like, I, that, there's something to that. Like, this does not fit Cleveland right now. That does not mean that it does not fit somebody else who also has aspirations. Uh, Polo in Redwood City next up on Willard and Dibs. Uh, hey, Polo, thanks for calling. What are you doing? Hey, nothing much going back to work. I want to say this, man. Everybody's stacking up because they can't beat the Warriors. I'm tired of all these superstars going to these different teams and trying to stack up and and the, and the court not getting their respect of holding it down on one team, period. But I wanted to say this, too. How come we just go, go get Eric Pascal, Pascal, bring him back? What do you guys think about that? I mean, I just, uh, I, I don't think the team, they, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they didn't like him the first time, you know? Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. They gave up on him real quick. I, I just, it, it sends alarms off. This is, there's a little bit of a James Wiseman comp here. I know this is a totally different draft pick. It sends alarms off in my head when a team is willing to give up on a player before the fan base is. That's backwards. You understand that, right? Usually a fan base is the impatient one and the team is, is patient because fans are fickle. And teams are the ones that are actually footing the bill. So they're the ones who are invested, not us. But when it goes the other way around, it sets alarms off. It's like they're the ones who are around him every day. They see him in right. practice every day. If they're giving up on him, it's because they don't like what they see. And when you have a 26-year-old free agent, Eric Paschal, who has spent the entirety of this NBA season as a 26-year-old free agent, <laughs> and you have 29 other teams, including the team he just left, the Utah Jazz, 29 other teams have had a crack at Eric Paschal in October, all the way through February, and nobody has even thought to, to bring him in. And additionally, Eric Paschal himself hasn't gone the way of going to play for Fenerbach like... Uh, <laughs> You know, Bielitsa did, or he's not going to Japan. He's not playing in Mexico like Juan Toscano Anderson. Eric Pascal's just, he's just out there. I'm glad you just brought up Bielitsa's name. Bielitsa. Bielitsa. Well, then it's in DiVincenzo. That's a different so, that's Thank different. You. It's not, Bielitsa's not restaurant quality. DiVincenzo now. Eh. What's the international buyout market like? Well, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting getting Bielitsa. You got to Google it. Totally. Bielitsa and Kevin Love. How would you compare those two? Uh, Bielitsa better than Kevin Love right at, now. At what? At uh, probably everything. Shooting. Really? 
Defensively, Bielitsa gave you a couple of quality stops yeah. in the postseason. Well, I see now, if, but that's but that was all like I'm talking like about. A quarter where Bielitsa was like, "Oh my God, he took yeah. a charge!" Well, a right, right, like that's all you'd be asking Love to do. Be Bielitsa. Be Bielitsa. Right. <laughs> be Alitsa. Okay. Never mind. Seventy-one games last year uh-huh. in the regular season. Yep. Sixteen minutes a night, which is about what Kevin Love has played this year. Right. A thirty-six percent from three for Bielitsa. Kevin Love six points a night. Kevin Love is a little lower than that, but traditionally, I think he was down about thirty-four. I'll put it back. I thought, up. It, was, I, I thought it, it was higher than that. Yeah, I've had it. I've had it open all day. I yeah. just closed it for yeah. some reason. But uh, yeah, Kevin Go Love. Uh, Go ahead. About a thirty. Yeah, thirty-five point four percent from three. Yeah, you're right. From okay. three, so, so pretty similar. I believe it's a way higher. You said thirty-six point two, and Kevin Love's thirty-five and a half point four. Don't round up. That rounds down. Mark. No, it doesn't round down. Point four rounds down. Point, you son of a math teacher. No it, rebounds. Bielitsa. Four a game. Kevin Love, a better rebounder at seven a game. I'll round up at 6.8. Listen. Defensively, neither one of them can help exactly. you. Exactly. So, can Kevin, Love, can Kevin Love come in and be Alitza for the rest of the year? I say yes. Yeah. yeah they're almost the same player. Jeez. They're very, very, they're very similar players, except for Kevin can rebound. And Love played yeah, 20 minutes a night. But he's not available every game. He's only played in 41. Does it adjust to the, like, I'm not asking you to come in and be awesome. I'm asking you to come in and be Alitza. Be Alitza 10 minutes in the offs uh, over the course of 15 uh, games. Yep. But, they ha- but there were Double moments. single. There, there were, were moments, moments where you're yeah. like, ah! <laughs> yeah. That's all you're getting on the different buyout team. market. D- different team this I year. I know. I know. Different responsibilities. And last year, you didn't need Bielitsa to be anything other than what he was, which was basically, we're going to bring you in, and we, we know you're probably not going to stop anyone, spot up a couple times, stroke a couple threes, and then that'll be it for yeah. you, Nemanja. Yeah. Nemanja. Kevin Love, if he comes onto this team, you need this player, whoever you get in the buyout market, if you get somebody, you need that player to be more than be elite. Maybe. I don't know that. I don't know that. Oh, that, I know that. That depends on who gets healthy and when. Uh, RJ in New York, next up on Willard and Dibs. Hey, RJ, what are you doing? Hey, guys, what's going on? Um, I have a question for you guys, actually. So, if you look at the Western Conference, you got four players. You got Devin Booker, you got Anthony Davis, you got Kyrie Irving, and you got PG-13. These are all superstars in today's league, and they're the second best player on teams competing this year and going forward. So now you look at a guy like Andrew Wiggins. Do you guys really believe, even if he plays the way he did last year on the championship run, do you believe that Andrew Wiggins, that same Andrew Wiggins, can be the second best player for a Golden State Warriors team within the next five years? I mean, he just was. He was their second best player in the playoffs last year. And that version of Andrew Wiggins was better than anything I've ever seen Paul George do. You called Paul George a superstar, and I'm going to clap back. He's a good player. He's a very good player. He was assessed as a superstar years ago, but he's not. He's not. He's a good player. He's better than a good player. He's very good. He's a good. star. He may not be a he's superstar. He's not a superstar. He's like, a star. He's and not he, a one on a championship team. No, and he's not a two on a championship team until he is. And the Clipper team, yeah. if you want to talk about don't sleep on a team, 
I hope you're not sleeping on the Clippers because the Clippers, the Clippers came in here. No, I'm not sleeping. And on them. they dominated good. the Warriors. And they, they were supposed to be good. Yes, but now they actually are playing yeah. like they're good. The Clippers are another team that I was sleeping on for the majority of the year, but don't sleep on them now. No, no, they're they're in the mix. I, I've I've always thought same thing. If blessed with health, they're in the mix. Um, the question though, and I'm not even really sure what RJ was getting at. Like, can Wiggins be the two on a championship squad? Yes, he already was. Uh, where's that going next? There are questions. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. But the Warriors are a different roster because who their second best player is rotates night in and night out. Like the Clippers, you go, okay, they've got Paul George. Okay, well, what if it's not Paul George? Then who's their second best player? The Warriors have other people who can put 50 on the board. I, like Clay Thompson or Jordan Poole on a given night could right. be a forty-point scorer. So I don't think you need uh, Wiggins to be that kind of a presence every single night. Certainly helps, but you need him to be your second-best defender yes. every single night. And that comes back to our can't versus won't discussion. And it feels more like it's a won't for Andrew Wiggins than it is a can't this year. Uh, Steiny and Goo are about to jump in. Uh, jump in here. We get to more of your calls on this on Willard and Dibs. Bro- Restaurant quality Dante DiVincenzo. Um, dude, dude's been awesome. He really has, especially lately. But um, of all the things that did not go right for the Warriors from last season to this season, uh, Dante is not on that list. That signing worked. Uh, he's been fantastic. Yeah, and even, yep. the, I mean, the Ty Jerome and the An- Anthony Lamb additions have been good Interesting, as yeah. well. And now you're in a spot where you got to figure out what to do with them when their 50-game two-way status expires. Do they sign them both, or do they sign one or neither? It'll be interesting to see how they navigate that. Uh, Steiny and Goo going to jump in here in just a little bit. Uh, we're sitting here watching Tiger warm up. Tiger's teeing off in... Uh, 15 minutes. Yeah. 15 minutes. It's exciting. 12.04, Riviera, Tiger Woods. Here we First go. First non-major appearance since the Zozo back in, Zozo. I think, 2020. It's been a couple. Is it really? Non-major. Hey, I yeah. mean, I know last year. <laughs> hi, Tiger. I know last year, just three tournaments, right? It was just three tournaments. Yeah. It was the Masters, PGA Championship, and was it? Open championship, the open championship, right? Yes, because he said goodbye to St. Andrews on the Swilkin Bridge, right? Which is right there on the 18th hole. And he missed the cut, right? Yes, he missed the cut. He withdrew from PGA and like tied for 47th at the Masters, something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it'll be interesting, man. It would be great, obviously, for the sport if uh, if he can. Uh, I don't know, just be relevant. I mean, he's relevant just when he's there. Right. But, like, if he can actually, you know, get involved in some of these leaderboards, that would be that would be big. That and would be good. He is one win away from, and we all talk about Jack, him, you know, getting Jack's record of 18 majors. He needs three to tie Jack. He needs one win to pass Sam Snead. My name is Sam Snead. You better recognize uh-huh. for most wins on tour, so... He still has some reasons to be out there playing, but I know this, Mark, and I'm in a fantasy golf league, so I'm locked in on every tournament every week, but when Tiger plays, it becomes a thing for the casual non-golf sports fan. Um, how come I never get the invite for your uh, your fantasy golf league? I, I don't run it, and okay. next year, though, I will, uh, I will extend. 
It's run by a good friend of the program, Rob Scott. Okay. Former Pepperdine volleyball player. Plays his golf at a Blackhawk. Sometimes I have a hard time trusting people with two first names, but I'll I'll allow it. Oh, this guy's a legend. Okay. Uh, 6'5", middle blocker. Played uh, back in the Karch Karai era, so he knows all the the Southern California OGs. 75 people in this uh, fantasy golf league. It's a fantastically run pool. Okay. I'm in. How much? I uh, yeah. it's right. not for any money. What's <laughs> okay. wrong with you? All right. What's wrong, wrong with you? I'm out. Um, no, so wait, don't don't, don't uh, talk about that. Yeah. Uh so anyway, yeah, Tigers coming up here in 13 minutes. We've been talking a whole lot of Warrior basketball from uh from James Wiseman to the buyout market and Kevin Love. And I thought, you know, it, 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 interesting conversation uh change over one and all, all off the top of our show today. Uh, with regard to when is the right time to sort of buy into reality on a player and when it, when is it time to sort of tap out on an investment. I'll admit something. This was all inspired by uh, an assignment that got turned in by one of my students yesterday. I asked them to hey, do... The teacher becomes well, the student. I said, give me three minutes, four minutes, commentary, solo, on anything. Sports. But, like, ha- like... Craft your point. Have something to say. Have it taken. Don't suck. Right. Basically, don't weave through. So then the you know the Warriors played and they kind of look at like what is your point? Did you rack this guy? I did. Even though I hated his point, but he did a good job of delivering it, and he had a point. He came right out and he goes, "So here's the deal. Trey Lance should start next year for the 49ers. and I immediately I sat up in the chair and I went. What you talking about, Stuart <laughs> Willis? <laughs> and he went, here's what I'm talking about, prof. And then he went through all of his reasons, and essentially it boiled down to, I still don't believe what I saw Brock Purdy do because I'm not supposed to believe what Brock Purdy did. Now, he didn't say it that way, but that was essentially what he was getting at. He compared Brock Purdy to Jimmy Garoppolo, said that they're very similar, I wanted to crawl into the MP3 and go, but what about the 10 points per game extra that showed up? Oh, they record these and then they send them in. Correct. Gotcha. Yes, this was not live. Okay. It was memorized. He doesn't do it live? No, he does not. Do it live! Oh, man. So I'm sitting there listening to this, and he's like, you know, yards per attempt and completion percentage and right. And I wanted to go, what about the 23 points per game turning into 33 points a game? What about that? Did he hit him? Uh, hit you with system quarterback at all? Well, he just sort of said, look, you're looking at the same guy, and he doesn't have near the talent. And that's the statement that, I, that, that stuck with me. Because I wonder what it is we all actually consider talent. Right? When we say that, we must mean raw talent. We must mean like, oh, he's got the God-given gifts. He's got the speed or the height or the strength or the howitzer arm. This is any sport. Right. Right? So, like, if that's all, if that's what talent is, well, then, yeah, James Wiseman should come back because he's got raw skills. I don't think the Warriors think he can play basketball. No. Kevon Looney is the best example, I think, in the Bay Area of a guy who, and I say this in this context of this conversation, guy's got no talent. He can't jump. He can't shoot. He can't dribble. He can't really do anything other than 
every single solitary thing that the Warriors want him and need him to do to win basketball games. So smart, right. I so mean, smart, like he, a heady player. He rebounds even though he never leaves the ground. He scores even though it seems impossible that he can shoot from the angle at which he shoots. He sets unbelievable screens. He always knows where to be. He doesn't have any talent, as you're describing it. And so I'm infuriated by this student. I hope you gave him an F. <laughs> well, actually, I'm pretty sure he got an A because the, the, the statement, the, the, the assignment was not to be right. Yeah, just the, to be. The assignment uh, was to. I mean, be compelling, hell. and it's compelling. Well, yeah. right. Like, I mean, if, if, if we're supposed to fail every piece of sports media where the take is wrong, well, that's the end of most sports media. Yeah. Right? There's a guy named Nick Wrong on, uh, on Fox. Was just watching clips of Mad Dog Russo, and JJ Reddick is literally going to yank all of the hair off of his head because Mad Dog is sitting here talking about how Larry Bird's a better shooter than Steph Curry because defense and era. You're wrong. I'm but we can't. We're not going to. ESPN's not going to fire him. They're not going to fire him. They're going to ri- give him a raise because right. he ticked us off. And you watched it, so yeah. of course he's going to get a raise. Yeah. To that point, I would love to see Larry Bird in this era because of you know how much and how often we shoot the three now, and the way Larry is able to pass the ball. The defenses were a lot stricter and tougher. It was harder to to be a scorer in that era, but at the same time. What Steph Curry is able to do in terms of creating his shot right. and just pure shooting. But I'd love to see if Larry Bird was, you know, leaving Indiana State right now as a sycamore and he was to come into this league with that crazy hair and that, that milk mustache. What kind of a player would he be? We just committed a huge sin. Just a huge error. Not, not at all. I mean, to be talking about Larry Bird when Steiny walks in, I've never Keep seen... my hero out your mouth. I've never seen your neck peacock like it just did. You just walked in like unassuming like you usually do. Got your legal pad. We're on our way in. What are we going to talk about? And he heard the words Larry and Bird come out of your mouth. And it was like, bow. Like it was like the whole body just went through a well, convulsion. Well, let me, let me try this to get him involved uh, into the show Hello. more, more quick. Hi, boys. You know who he'd be? Kyle Corver. Uh, Good morning, Stein. So does he? Does he grow up? Does he grow up when he grew up, or he grows up like he grew up with alongside Steph Curry? Yeah, he grows up alongside Steph Curry. He grows up, yeah. Because you grows up and you're grown up. Yeah. Well, one thing I can say for sure is he wouldn't be he wouldn't be any better defensively. I can say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be Kevin Lovian on the defensive end. Actually, I've always. I've always found this fascinating. So when they put the three-point line in in 79, in theory, if you were a pro at 30 years old, that's the first time you ever started